Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all. Uh, it's, a, it's a good day uh, to be thanking God for the, the past and looking to the, the future. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Murray, and I'm the, the senior pastor these days here at, at Mentone. Not quite 70 years old, uh, but getting closer. One of the things that we love to do as a church is to read the Bible and to teach through the Bible, because we believe the Bible is God's words, good words for us, that we can know him and know ourselves. And so we're going to be doing that now. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to be looking at that Bible passage, which Simon just read for us. Please join with me as we pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that you are such a good and gracious God. You are a holy God and a a kind God, and you have given us your word that we might know you, that we might understand the world that you have made and our place in it. So please, we pray, help us to to listen carefully, help us to sift through what is being said, help us to understand it, and we pray that you might increasingly convince us about your son and what he has done for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The reality TV series The Block seems to have a love affair with Melbourne. Uh, 15 of its 19 seasons have been located here in Melbourne, and the most recent seasons have been located just up the road from the church here in this part of Melbourne. Now, for months, if you've watched the show in the past on The Block, uh, couples are pouring their hearts and muscles into building and renovating and creating homes fit for vogue living. And then at the, the end of the process, the houses are auctioned. Sometimes couples make a profit, sometimes not. Some couples are blown away by the sum of money that they make and others are bitterly disappointed. I think the the block is something of a parable for Melbourne. Now, Melbourne is one of the great success stories in modern world history. You think about it. What we have created here is considered, even to this day, one of the most livable places on earth. And the coffee is magic. Our city is built on hard work and hubris. Now, our hopes have been exposed in recent years by the pandemic, by inflation, mental health issues, loneliness. Overseas conflicts are reaching our suburbs and streets. Our self-belief and our hubris has been deflated, but we seem to be hanging on to it because we don't really know where else to go. The solution seemed to be, well, we need to work harder, we need to work smarter, fill up our life with as many Taylor Swift moments as possible. Uh, A friend of mine made uh, this observation a couple of days ago. He said to me, young people, he thinks, they believe now that they can never afford a house of their own, and so they're turning to living it up now, and they're buying up all these experiences now. So there is this sort of eat, drink, and be merry mentality, because tomorrow looks so bleak. We need a better hope. Now, COVID didn't create these social and spiritual conditions, but rather it accentuated and accelerated what already existed. That is, we are trying to build life without God, and it is failing. C.S. Lewis once was writing, as he was looking back to his time when he wasn't a Christian, and he said this, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust, But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What I was comparing this universe with when I called it unjust. 
See, without God, how do we discern what is ultimately true and good and loving? What we're left with, if we take God out of the picture, we're just sort of drawing squiggly lines and zigzagging across each other. And frankly, the person with the biggest texter wins. I was listening to a podcast recently. Uh, There's a couple of social commentators uh, reflecting on some big questions. And one of them was explaining how he doesn't believe in God. But he wants to find a humanistic explanation that can prove to him human beings are different. Human beings are more valuable than other species. But as they were talking, this guy admitted, he said, it's actually really hard to justify believing human beings have special dignity when we take God away. And the interviewer added this. He said, yes, once we remove God and we put man on the pedestal, how do we know which man to follow? How do we know which views we should be listening to? What governs these ideas or values? So here are two highly intelligent men, both refusing to believe in God and instinctively knowing people do have worth and dignity. But without God, that project is really hard to sustain. The Bible offers us a penetrating view of the world, both in its wonder and in its horror. God isn't embarrassed to name the problem. It's out of love that he does. The Bible explores saying how we are cut off from God because he is utterly holy and because we are sinful. It's like we're swimming in an ocean that is both beautiful and polluted. Now, the world wasn't always like that, but when we stopped believing God at his word, this sin began to affect everything, and it does even today. Now, in some ways, we are living in the most successful era in human history. We often look at the negatives, but we should also look at the wonderful blessings, that the living standards that are available, the experiences open to us living today, the medicine and the technology. And yet we are more anxious, despondent, and divided. We need a better hope. For 70 years, Mentone Baptist Church has declared the same message that has resounded around churches for 2,000 years. That is Christ, our hope, and Jesus saves. But how do we square this claim with in 21st century, affluent, intelligent, sporty, cultured, yet desperately lonely, fragile, and fearful Melbourne? Well, I chose as our Bible text for our anniversary today, Philippians chapter 1. And the reason being, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is reflecting on the past. He's looking to the future while addressing a church in the present. And that's what we're doing today, isn't it? As we're celebrating our anniversary, we're thanking God for the past. We're looking forward to the future as we now live in the present. And we see the start of this letter in Philippians that Paul's message is one of joyful thanksgiving. So Paul was writing to a very young church in the Greek city of Philippi. And the first members of this church, and we read about this in the book of Acts, uh, was Lydia, a cloth merchant, so she was a businesswoman. And then there was the local prison warden and his family. Now, in many respects, it was a very simple, ordinary beginning, and yet God was at work. So we've already heard today how Mentone started in a house nearby in Cheltenham with 10 men and women who were convinced about the good news of Jesus, 
loving God and wanting to share his gospel with others. And since then, and over the years, hundreds and hundreds of lives have been changed from plumbers to professors, students, salespeople, doctors, young and old. So Paul writes, let me read verses 3 and 4. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. So as Paul is writing to his church and and he's praying, he's thanking God. He has joy. But notice where Paul is writing from. Verse 7 alludes to it. And then Paul later on spells it out in this letter. He is in prison. He's locked up in chains for the social heresy of telling people about Jesus. And that situation is pretty serious. He doesn't know whether he will live or be sentenced to death. We read that later in chapter 1. And friends, religious freedom isn't something to take for granted. So Paul, though, he's not immune from suffering. He's not ignorant of hardship. He's lost his freedom, and yet he hasn't lost his joy and his confidence in God. He has a joy and confidence in God. Why? Well, this joy and this thanksgiving, the circumstances for it, is because Paul has his church in Philippi partnering with him. But the cause of his confidence is God. Let me read a bit of verse 5 again. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And in sentences 7 and 8, Paul is reinforcing the way that he's feeling about this church. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So Paul was often treated with suspicion and even hatred. He was regularly put into prison. But the Philippians didn't desert him. They weren't ashamed of him. No, they were told sharing in God's grace with him. You see, there is this deep union that Christians experience and enjoy where people from all kinds of places and backgrounds have got so little in common, and yet in Christ we share everything. And so the word partnership here means fellowship. There is a personal sharing and giving and working together in the gospel. So Paul values this partnership, but again, notice where Paul is directing his confidence. Verse 6, being confident of this, what God began, he is continuing and will carry it on to completion. So this confidence, it's not arrogance, it's not pride, it's look how good we are. There is a joyful confidence in God. And what Paul says, what God starts, he will finish. And that's the Christian hope, isn't it? Our hope is in God who keeps his promises. So what Paul now does is to outline this God-given joy and confidence by talking about the past, the present, and the future. And I want to explore this with you for a few minutes and and to see how this might look like at Mentone. Under these three headings, God's gospel creates, God's gospel continues, and God's gospel completes. So God's gospel creates. Let me read the text again, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. So this good work, it is God's work. It is God's work of bringing forgiveness of sin, reconciling people to himself and to each other. 
The Bible shows us how only Jesus could die as a substitute for sin. Only Jesus has been raised from the dead. And this good news of Jesus, it convinces and convicts people. It changes us inside out, our affections and attitudes and outlook. And as God brings us back to himself, he also reconciles us to one another. That is the good work that God has begun. That's an incredible thing when you think about it, even at Mentone these days, and how little we have in common. We are so different. We have different interests. We have come from different backgrounds, different family situations, different jobs. We were born in different countries. And yet in Christ, we are sharing a unity that is closer than a sporting team or interest group or even in marriage. 70 years ago, a tiny church moved from meeting in a house to this property on Warrigal Road. Now, the year 2023 looks and sounds really different from 1953. The streets and the suburbs are very different today. Uh, 70 years ago, this area was dominated by small farms and market gardens. There were a few schools, a train line. Southland didn't exist. Uh, there was no Maccas, no KFC. Now, over those years, the, the cars have changed, the cricket bats have changed, the coffee, the fashion, the phones have changed. But you know what? The underlying issues and questions and longings of the human heart remain the same. God planted his word in 10 people and his love motivated them to start this church so that we might tell the people of Mentone and Cheltenham and beyond, Jesus really does save. He is our hope. I mean, no wonder Paul can be locked in a prison cell facing the worst possible scenario and yet have a joyful confidence because the gospel creates new life, new relationships, new hope. God's gospel begins. God's gospel continues. So we do, even today, we're thanking God for his grace to us in the past. And Paul's about to talk about the future, but he's addressing Christians living in the present moment, in the present tense. And what he's doing is encouraging them and he's praying for them. He's not saying, well, now it's all up to you. He's not saying, well, God started it, but now it's all in your hands. What are you going to be doing? As though the future somehow is depending on us. Again, God, so Paul's confidence is in God. And that doesn't mitigate human responsibility, but it gives profound encouragement and assurance that following Jesus isn't a dead end. You know, Melbourne's view of Christianity has changed a lot since the 1950s. I wasn't there, but I read about it. You know. uh, church attendance, we know, uh, is plummeting. There are fewer people interested in the Bible. We have shifted from Christianity being useful to society to Christianity being irrelevant. And today, well, Christianity is kind of dangerous. We've moved on from, you know, Christians are moral, sensible people to moral but naive, now to stupid and now and even immorally bigoted people. That's where we're moving to. But while locked in chains, Paul is saying, no, God is continuing his good work. God's not going to fail. We can trust him today for he is the God who keeps his promises. And frankly, the evidence is everywhere to see even today. I think of people you know, here at part of our church these days who, who once had no time for God and lived, let's say, very creative lives. <laughs> but now Mentone is their home and they are loving God and serving others. I think of some of the, the people who have been baptised in, in the last few years and how their lives have been radically changed by the good news of Jesus. 
I think of Regeneration Church at uh, Monash University that we planted, what, seven years ago. It is today teeming with university students and people becoming Christians almost every week, like, well, at least every month. It's fantastic. See, God's good news through Jesus is continuing in communities and cities all over the world today. Now, I understand we in the West tend to think that we've moved on and we've progressed beyond God and all that Bible stuff. But globally, Christianity is growing. Missiologists believe that in the near future, there will be more Christians in China than in America. There are more practicing churches and Christians in Africa today than any other continent. It's fantastic. And in some of the most oppressed societies in the world, and of course the media are never going to talk about this, but you know, in places like Iran, Christianity is exploding in numbers. Why? Because there is something so compelling about the person and work of Jesus Christ. He loves the unlovable. He died for sinful people. He forgives. He defeats death. God's gospel is continuing. And friends, God's gospel completes. Let me read verse 6 again. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So God isn't like Schubert who wrote the unfinished symphony, never finished it. He's not like me when I'm watching a movie and giving up after three and a half minutes. God will finish what he has started. Now, that is either terrifying or consoling, depending on where you stand before God. And what Paul is also indicating to us is that the world does have an overarching story. We have a beginning and a middle and an end. And the end, Paul is articulating here, is the day of Christ. It's one of many ways that the Bible describes that final day. Now, I was up in Sydney last month. Uh, for a week or so, and, and I was staying in an apartment up there. And in the, in the apartment, it was all laid out you know, on, on the coffee table were these magazines, and there was this vacation magazine which caught my eye. And on, the, on the front cover, there, there was a spread with different exotic locations and articles, I'm assuming, were, were inside about each one of these exotic locations. It said it was Mauritius, Antarctica, French Polynesia, sounds pretty good, Fiji, Indonesia. Canberra. <laughs> yeah. Good. I'm glad you laughed. This world has a final destination. And it's not just a holiday destination, but it is a final destination. And God has set a date. We don't know when that is going to be, but he said he has. In fact, this building has a use-by date, which is kind of cool. Every blade of grass, every slab of concrete... And the gospel of Jesus confirms, I think, what every person needs, and yet so often we want to ignore. He rose from the dead. He is the guarantee of eternity and the final end of this world. There is a day when Jesus will return and bring an end to death and sin and sorrow forever. And God will open up the curtains to the new creation where God dwells and where those who trust in Jesus will enjoy his presence and love and life forever. God will finish his good work. And because of this confidence, because of this hope, Paul is praying for the church in Philippi. 
And I think it's a prayer that we can pray for uh, each other, not, not only for Mentone Baptist Church, but for churches all across Melbourne and, and around the world as we do. Paul prays this. He says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul here very clearly shows us that love is not an indefinable word as though we just sort of get to fill it in with whatever meaning we want. Any, like, like it's a personal taste, you fill up a, a donut with strawberry or lemon curd. Or, no, 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 this love has definition. This love is grounded, we're told, in knowledge and in insight. It's about knowing God. And so love increases the more we know God, for God is love. So he's praying, may your love grow in knowledge and insight. And then this love and knowledge has a purpose, he says, that we may discern what is best, be pure and blameless, and be filled with the fruit of righteousness. In other words, knowing God and loving God, it's not a static thing. It's not a free pass to heaven that makes no difference to how we live our lives today. Knowing and loving God, rather, is evident in everyday life. It changes us. We want to know God more. We want to live in light of God's love. We want to please God more. We want to love other people more. So we pray, God, finish the good work you have started. If you've got a sporting grand final coming up, uh, say tonight's Cricket World Cup, I'm assuming we're all going to be watching. It's what we do at Mentone. We watch cricket on Sunday nights. Uh, Or Carlton reaching the grand final next year. Pretty much certain. If you've got a sporting grand final coming up, in the lead up to that final, the players are not giving up. They're not partying all night. They're not forgetting to train. They're not having too much to drink as though, well, you know, it's all going gonna, gonna to happen anyway. You know, we'll just give up. You're spurred on, aren't you? As you know that day approaches, you work harder. You keep encouraging one another. It's coming. Let's not give up. God will finish his good work. You see, every one of us is trying to build hope and we're working toward realizing something that is substantial and secure. We can't survive without hope. But hope has been staring at us in the face. God lovingly gives it. There's even a sign outside the front of this building on Warrigal Road and thousands of cars are driving past it every day. When Susan and I moved to London a long time ago, uh, we we brought with us a lot of uh, bags and boxes, including several boxes of books, because we were over there to to study for the year. And so I thought, well, I'm going to need my books. And so we we, um, packed them all up and we got them sent over. But I remember, though, when the boxes arrived in London, we were picking them up from the airport. Some of them were in such poor condition. I don't know if they were playing soccer with them or what that was going on, but the cardboard was all torn and they were open, the tape was fraying, the boxes were barely holding together. And it's like that's what society in Melbourne's trying to do. We're trying to find some sense of social and spiritual cohesion. But it's like the boxes are wearing thin, they're falling apart, the tape is not sticking anymore. Sometimes we're trying to hold things together with goodwill. Other times we're brute force of the law. Sometimes we're just throwing out hopeful messages into the wind. Maybe something will stick. 
as it happened, I didn't need to bring those books, uh, those boxes over to London because where we were living, the college had this enormous library with every book I needed and more. I could have uh, walked down in my PJs day or night and take whatever I wanted. Uh, true story. Uh, God has given us the gospel of certain hope. We don't need to do it. We need to believe him and accept his gift. The cross of Jesus, it's not feeble duct tape trying to hold things together. Jesus has taken the burden of sin from us and for us, and he has been raised from the dead. And he has promised, I will build my church. And when Jesus says something, he will do it. And he wasn't talking about buildings, by the way. He meant the people. (laughs) Because God's heart is to forgive and reconcile people. That's what the church is. And we exist because he first loved us. We exist to love and praise him and to humbly show Melbourne that Jesus gives certain hope. In 2012, Melbourne was hosting the Global Atheist Convention. And uh, this is when the new atheism was firing on all cylinders and people from all over the world were were coming uh, to, to preach this gospel of no God. Uh, And one of the keynote speakers for this global gathering of unbelievers and these intellectuals was a woman by the name of Ayan Hirsi Ali. Uh, She was born in Somalia. Uh, She's an academic. Uh, She grew up within Islam, but that message turned her away when she was a teenager, I think it was, and she became a convinced atheist and became uh, an articulate evangelist for the new atheists. And so she was one of the headline speakers at this global atheist convention. And for years, she kept preaching this message and and explaining why this must be true. 11 years on or so since that convention, in fact, last week, she wrote an article and she shared her journey to Christianity. And she says, today I am a Christian. Now, that is a huge thing for a famous intellectual to publicly admit, especially given Ali's uh, background. Here's a couple of things that uh, she said. I would not be truthful if I attributed my embrace of Christianity solely to the realisation that atheism is too weak and divisive a doctrine to fortify us against our menacing foes. I've also turned to Christianity because I ultimately found life without any spiritual solace unendurable, indeed very nearly self-destructive. It became increasingly clear that Christ's teaching implied not only a circumscribed role for religion as something separate from politics, it also implied compassion for the sinner and humility for the believer. Of course, I still have a great deal to learn about Christianity. I discover a little more at church each Sunday. We have been too quick to close the Bible. We have been too quick to dismiss Jesus. I understand sometimes we Christians, we, do, we give the wrong impression of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, sometimes we mark it up in, in, in terrible, horrific ways. I understand that. That's also the point that we all need a saviour. So today we are saying thank you, God, for the last 70 years. We are saying thank you, Lord, for the present. And we're praying, God, please complete the good work you have begun. And we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but we do know that final day and we know how God wants us to live now for that day. Friends, let us make much of Jesus, 
Keep growing in his love to know him and please him and show this wonderful city how great God is. Christ, our hope. Let me pray for us. Father, we again uh, thank you for these past 70 years. We thank you for your incredible kindness and love and grace toward us. We thank you that the good news of Jesus continues to save and to change lives in Melbourne even in 2023. Father, we thank you that you not only begin good work, but you will carry it through to completion. And we can trust you with this. So we pray in your kindness, may that good work continue in this church, in each of our lives, and in churches scattered around Melbourne that we might make much of Jesus, that we might continue to grow in your love and knowledge, that we might show the people of Melbourne that there really is certain hope, and that hope is found in the Lord Jesus. And Father, we ask this now and trusting you with this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.